How are we, church? Good, good. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Early service. Is early service the best? 9 a.m.? Yeah? You guys got up early and got here. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I'm glad you joined us this morning. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you as well. Uh, just glad that you could join us today. I've been really excited about this series. We've been talking about doing it for quite a while. It's something that's been very sensitive. <laughs> There's so much, it's like eating an elephant. There's so many different ways and so much we can talk about and processing what to discuss as a church and what the scripture has to say about it. It's just been a great journey for me personally looking at this stuff. And so I'm looking forward to talking about um, mental health. Christianity has often been on the forefront of serving people that are in need. We're called to do so. We're called to serve people in need. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the Roman emperor, Julian the Apostate. And we look at actually a lot of Roman documentation uh, shows that the Christians were really on the forefront of reform in society to help with medical care. There weren't a lot of systems in place to take care of people. And as Christianity spread around the world along with it, really came a movement of health care. And so Christians have often been on the forefront of health care situations. And really, I think it, it stems from what Jesus said. He was telling a story, and he concluded the story in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, by saying these words, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. And right there, Jesus put something in our foundation to take care of people. Because you, you never know, you, you know, it's... He tells us stories like, hey, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink, etc. And they're like, when did we see you like that? And he said, whatever you did for my brothers, you did that for me. And so Christians have taken on this concept of serving one another is part of serving Christ. And it, so it should really be in the foundation of who we are that we serve one another in their capacity of taking care of people's needs. Unfortunately, when it comes to invisible needs... Things we can't see. I, you know, we can see if, if someone is in need physically sometimes. They're sick. It manifests. We see it. We, we want to help them with it. Uh, you know, if someone is poor or unable to afford housing, whatever, we can see these things. There's physical evidence of it, and so we can take care of it. When it comes to something that's invisible, it becomes more difficult for us uh, to see, and our response to it is mixed. And Christianity's response to mental health has been mixed. Uh, I think just like in the physical health realm, God can lead us to understand and serve people to a greater extent when it comes to mental health. Just like Christians have been on the forefront of the development of... Actually, I was reading in that article I was reading, they were talking about different surgeons, different people that made great advancements in the medical field. Uh, their motivation came from their faith because they wanted to serve others. And I think we could continue to, to walk in that same kind of path as our forefathers did, where we're on the cutting edge of helping people with their needs and causing there to be breakthrough in, in things like mental health care. I think God can lead us to understand more and find even better tools to help people that are suffering. We want to remain active and informed and progressive when it comes to having a mentally healthy community. So why the, you know, why the big deal? Uh, chances are every single person in this room has been impacted in some way 
by mental health, whether it be with themselves or somebody else. There is a need. You know, you've heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding, right? There's evidence of things. There's fruit. And we can look around and we can see there's fruit. It's not good fruit, but it's the result of something. And probably the most extreme situation when it comes to mental health or result that we see from a lack of mental health is the issue of suicide. I want to read out of a couple of articles, or one article in particular this morning. It was on uh, KXLF's website just in August, I believe. It said a new, release, a new study released Wednesday shows Montana's suicide rate has jumped more than 60% over the last two decades. This information, the research they did uh, from seniorliving.org is based on U.S. Census Bureau and Center for Disease Control. Uh, the research from seniorliving.org shows that Montana once again has the nation's highest suicide rate, as well as high rates for women and Native Americans. The statewide suicide rate was, and you're going to want to remember this number, it's 29.8 suicides per 100,000 people. And that's usually how they member, uh, measure those rates. And so as I compare that, you'll, you'll see here in a moment. Montana women completed suicide at a rate of 12.1 per 100,000 people tops in the country. Native Americans had the highest suicide rate of any race at 22 per 100,000 population. Firearms are the most used method for both men at 56% and women at 31%. Montana had one of the highest suicide rates in the country, for, has had one of the highest suicide rates in the country for decades. But this new data showed how dramatically the problem has grown. Montana's suicide rate is 64.4% higher since 1999 and the ninth highest jump of any state. Okay, I want to put some of this in perspective for you. In 2016, this information, they didn't, did not include the nation of Greenland. Greenland has the highest suicide rate in the world typically and has for many years at the rate of 82.8 people per 100,000. It's three times the rate of the next highest country. So Greenland is off the chart, and they've got a whole situation on their hands. But the, most of the other information does not include Greenland that I found. The highest suicide rate in the world is in the nation of Guyana where our friend Cassie had served, um, they, their suicide rate is 30.2 per 100,000. The next highest country is the country of Lithuania, which is at 28.27. What does that tell you? If Montana were a country, we would have the second highest suicide rate in the world. That's devastating and should be eye-opening to all of us. Compared to the rest of the United States, the United States suicide rate is about 14. We're over twice the national rate. We have a problem. And uh, I think that Christians ought to be really aware of that and ought to be considering how they can take action to help people that are struggling. Suicide isn't the only manifestation that we see when people are struggling. We do lots of things that show that we are struggling. Addiction is a significant one. This article was in the Missoulian. It was written by uh, Steve Danes. It says, in addition to opioids, which is part of what the article is about, a far deadlier epidemic is wreaking havoc in Montana, the meth epidemic. In Montana, meth is destroying families and communities and disproportionately impacting Native American tribes. There has been a 415% increase in meth cases from 2011 to 2017. There is a 375% increase in meth-related deaths in that same period. 
Going on further, further in the article, it says, what we are seeing is a direct link between violent crime and meth use. Montana has seen a 35% increase in violent crime since 2010. An increase in murder, robbery, aggravated assault, and rape have been connected to higher meth use in Montana. Nearly every Montana has been impacted in some way by the drug crisis and increasing increase in violent crimes. So there's a lot of drug use going on. What is that? People are looking for ways to cope. They're trying to, you know, they get, we get hooked on things because we're trying to medicate our issues. Speaking of medication, medication is something that, you know, legal medication is something that's meant to help and it can really help people with their situations. But it also is becoming an addictive situation at times. There's a lot of issues there. It's, it's a potential solution, but it also should show us that with the great number of us, including myself, who have used medication to help us with our mental situations, uh, it, it also is, should show us that people are in need. People really are in need with their mental health and what's going on inside of them, in their emotions, in their thinking, and trying to find ways and solutions to have a healthier inner being. Violent behavior has decreased in the United States overall since the 90s, but in Montana it's doubled. It's gone way up. Not only are many of us affected by these things that I've mentioned, but what about the less visible? I mean, if someone is, is struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction or, you know, those extreme, the, the more extreme situations that we can see, uh, how many more are struggling that we don't know? How many of you in the room right now are struggling that we don't know about because we can't see it? How many people are struggling with grief? or shame, or depression, or anxiety, or something in their soul that they're at war with themselves with and none of us know about. I also want to draw your attention to the abuse of alcohol. Montana is one of only 10 states with an excessive drinking rate of over 21%, which means that one in five adults report excessive drinking. It's a significant issue, and it should tell us there is a cry from people for help. Because they're not, they might be healthy in their physical body, but they're not healthy in their heart. They're not healthy in their mind. And we as Christians need to take this very, very seriously. And like I just, just said, what about all those other things that maybe you're not a drug addict and maybe you're not struggling with suicidal ideation, but you're struggling quietly with yourself. And we want to be a people that takes action to see our friends and family be healthy in this regard. In a way, we can look at it, and you'll probably hear many physical analogies to mental health because physical health is the most obvious and easy thing to connect uh, metaphors to. But, in, you know, in some ways, some of us, sometimes we get a cold. You know, we get a sniffle for a few days, and we pop a few vitamins, and we pump some liquids, and we rest for a little bit, and we get over it. And some, sometimes, you know, we got people in our congregation struggling with things as extreme as cancer. You know, where they got to go through long-term treatment and in-depth stuff and really affects their health. And mental health can be the same way. You can have a couple of bad days. And it's, you know, we're afraid to use the terminology mental health because it makes people feel, you know, they feel all the stigmas and they, they, they feel like they, you know, we're talking like uh, extreme. And yet we're just talking just as simple as physical health. Sometimes we have little bumps in the road with our physical health. Sometimes we have little bumps in the road with our mental health. Sometimes we have huge bumps in the road with our physical health. Sometimes we have huge bumps in the road with our mental health. 
And we need to see them through a similar lens in that way so that we can deal with them in a healthy way. Okay, so I want to talk about Christianity and mental health. I told you earlier, Christianity has been on the forefront of helping people that struggle. And ironically, sometimes we're just as easily found on the other end of the spectrum where we're treating uh, mental health issues with a lack of compassion and a lack of engagement, and we're not sure what to do. And why is that? And so I'm going to un hopefully unpack some of that a little bit later for us. Why? Why? Because here's the thing. We, as, as, as believers in God, a sovereign God, the creator of the universe, the one who we look to as the source of our truth, the source of life, all of those good things we look to God for, um, surely with our understanding and our beliefs, the foundation of all things can be discovered in him. So when we seek him, we can come to understanding about who we are and the world around us and who he is that we might make progress in some area where we have need. We as followers of God, of the God of all creation, have a great amount of information at our disposal to understand and deal with the invisible issues that people face. We are as well equipped as anyone on the planet to help people that are struggling. We want to continue to pursue truth, pursue God, pursue understanding about who we are and who he is that we might come into more healthy life. There's a lot of wrong attitudes and understanding that are part of the picture as Christians. Christians are guilty often of adopting wrong attitudes about mental health. And I'll, I hopefully will deal with some of that today as I lay the groundwork for the next couple of weeks. Uh, speaking of the next couple of weeks, uh, this series is, you know, going to be a little different. Normally, you know, we really, uh, it's just going to feel a little bit different because we're going to take a lot of practical approaches to this situation. For the next two weeks, you do not want to miss. Um, the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, could be five, depending on how things go. Uh, but in the, for the next two weeks, we're going to hear from Daniel Champer. And Daniel, do you mind waving just so everybody can see who you are? Uh, Daniel is, um, he's not got to preach before, so I'm really looking forward to hearing him in the pulpit. But Daniel um, got his degree in theology. Uh, he, is, he grew up in the church, but after he got his degree in theology, he went on to get his master's, and he is a uh, licensed clinical professional counselor. Did I get your title right? And he works for Intermountain's Children's Home. Intermountain Children's Home. He trains counselors. And he has a really, he's been very helpful to me, and he's got a really thorough understanding of how this stuff works, and he's got a theological base. And so really looking forward to two weeks in a row of listening to Daniel's teaching and training and perspective to help the church be better equipped to help ourselves and the world around us with the issues of mental illness. Then in the third week, our very own Mrs. Sherea Clancy is going to be sharing a message. And this issue has also been a passion of hers in different ways with personality and things like that. So uh, we haven't got to hear her preach either. So you get three... Three weeks of rookies, and it's going to be really good. So I'm looking forward to it um, and, he, and hearing what Shreya has to say as well and gain some of her perspective. I think it would be a good time for you. You know, you hear her do announcements and you work with her in other groups. It would be a great time for you to actually hear some of the things that are on her heart. So that will be very good. But mental illness, actually, and some, this is, it may ruffle some feathers as we talk through this. You know, there's a lot of strong opinions about this stuff. But mental illness is consistent with what the Bible teaches us about life and sin and suffering. 
it's consistent with what the scripture says we're going to deal with. And I think that's really important for us to understand as Christians. Uh, One of the ways that we can really begin the conversation is understanding who we are as human beings. We, We know or we believe that as Christians, we're not just biology. We're not just flesh. We're more complex than that. We are well-equipped because we can grasp and understand a lot of things about human nature because we believe in the soul and the spirit. We believe in a spiritual realm. We, we understand probably a more diverse or bigger picture about who we are as people and that the Scripture teaches us about our condition as mankind, about, uh, about who we are. The, the statement that I, that I read or came up with or ended up with here that really summarizes this for me is is that we are complex beings designed in the image of God and corrupted by sin. Okay, We are are complex beings designed in the image of God but enduring the consequences of sin entering creation. The scripture says that, that creation has been subjected to futility and that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The whole of creation became corrupt when sin entered the world. And we are dealing with the consequences of that in all kinds of ways today. There's more to us than biology. We are body, soul, and spirit. If you've been around here any amount of time, you recognize this graphic or some version of it. It's a way I look at us as human beings and some of the interactions of us, we're more than just what we see. In fact, what you see goes away in the end. But what's inside will remain and go on to a new body someday, the Scripture promises us. But while we are in this body and in this creation, we are dealing with the consequences and corruption of sin. And you see here that I've got You know, the body is the world-aware part of who we are. The soul is the self-aware part of who we are. And our spirit is the uh, God-aware part of who we are. Thank you, Sherry. I have to go to that one. And often we find that there's some conflict here. I might know that I shouldn't eat that last cupcake. My body disagrees. With my mind, my body says, crave the cupcake. And my brain goes, that's a bad idea. And my emotions go, it might be okay. And the voice of my wife, conscience in my background going, don't eat the cupcake. I'm, at, I'm in conflict with myself. I'm in conflict with myself. And probably one of the most foundational scriptures that we can look at to unpack this situation that we are in is Romans chapter 7. I know I always say this. I say, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think I say that every week to you guys, but really, this is one of my favorite passages. Romans chapter 7. And if I could encourage you, if I, could, if I were a professor and could assign you homework, I would assign you to study Romans chapter 7 and 8. This is I mean, of all of Paul's writings, you could argue this is just the masterpiece of what he taught. It's so rich and so much to it. Romans chapter 7, verses 15. I'm going to go all the way through verse 25. 
And try and put yourself in Paul's shoes here. Let's empathize here with Paul, because I think you will understand what he is saying. Paul, the apostle, the hero of the New Testament faith, writer of so many scriptures, says this, For I do not understand my own actions. Can you relate? I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, that the law is good. He's making an argument about the law here. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul's starting to make a distinction for us to help us understand. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. I want to talk about this word flesh for just a minute. Uh, from the helps word study and out of strongs and stuff like that. In short, flesh generally relates to unaided human effort. Okay, when we say flesh, there is the very literal meat on my bones kind of flesh. But when Paul's talking about flesh and the word that he uses there, it, it really more is drawing attention to the idea of of human humanism, human effort, things that originate from us, from self, or are empowered by self. It's likened to the word they use for carnal or of the flesh. It proceeds and proceeds out of the untouched or unchanged part of us that is what is not transformed by God. Okay, what am I, what am I trying to say here? Things that originate with us selfishly. Things that uh, are done in our own strength and power is what Paul means when he says flesh. So when he says nothing good dwells in my flesh, it's not that we should you know, destroy our bodies because it's evil. He's talking about the motivations and the actions of the flesh. So he's saying there's nothing in my, in my untransformed nature, in my, without God, there is nothing good in me. For, there, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Have you ever felt that way? I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Now we could use this to make excuses for ourselves, but I don't think that's what most of us probably struggle with. Most of us are probably struggling with wanting to do the right thing and finding ourselves almost incapable of doing it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Ah, tension, internal conflict. Paul had internal conflict? Yes, he did. Just like you do, just like I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sin has corrupted us, and it works against God. And it works even against what we want from God. And we war against it. And sometimes we find ourselves like what Paul's saying, I don't have the ability to do the right thing. I try. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Inside, I want this. I delight in the law of God inside. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's in me. I get captive and caught in it. Wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is a fantastic scripture to draw our attention to the reality that we have internal conflict. And it produces all kinds of pain for us. Now you can take that very literally in the flesh. Don't, you know, don't eat the cupcake. Don't steal the money. I'm tempted to steal the money and there's this conflict inside of me. But even more than that, there are other things that cause us issues. Invisible. Wrestling with our own thoughts. Wrestling with our own emotions. Wrestling with things that have happened to us. And we're like, oh, I'm hampered inside by this thing. And I know that God wants joy and peace in my life, but I'm dealing with this wound. Who will save me from this? The conflict inside of me. I want healed from it. Wow. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, we see this situation where Cain is about to kill his brother Abel. This is right away in the beginning of creation. Cain is angry and he wants to kill Abel. He's got this conflict inside of him. He wants to do something he shouldn't do. And God says to him, before he even does it, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Why, why are we talking about sin? Why, why is this the issue? I think, you know, a lot of our, you know, our issues, you know, with our, all of our woundings, all of our inner being that struggles, ultimately can be traced back to that mankind is broken. We wound each other. We do terrible things to each other. We say terrible things to each other. We endure circumstances that are a result of a broken creation. And that wears on our soul. And we end up dealing with things internally. Just like our flesh decays and dies. I mean, we can, we can, uh, we do, we believe in healing. We believe God supernaturally heals. We believe in miracles. But we also know that in the end, we all are going to die. The flesh will die. But we go on if we believe to a new body and a new life in Christ. I need to move along here. Um, I just want to give a, a, a real example of this. We, you know, I one time I, you know, I was using a razor blade and I slipped and I slashed across my knuckles with that razor blade utility knife, and I cut the tendon to my middle finger, and my finger quit working. And uh, you know, what do I do when I cut myself? I grab it, I cover it up, I protect it. I go in the house and pass out in front of my wife. That's just a side note for you. <laughs> what do I do? I protect it. I, I go to the sink and I'm cleaning it and I'm thinking i got a bandage. And I realize my finger doesn't work anymore. All of a sudden, I can't fix it. I can do a certain number of things to help myself, but there's somebody else that knows a lot more than I do about this and has the tools and the equipment to repair it. He's the doctor. And so I go to his emergency room where he patches me up temporarily and then a couple weeks later does surgery on my hand. I have surgery to get it fixed. And then it hurt even after the surgery for months. You guys may remember at transition when, when I became the leader of the church, I had, a, had just gotten off a big old cast on my arm because I had other surgery. Okay, what is, 
all right, what's the big deal with that? I mean, just, just, to, just when, when something happens to us, the information goes inside us. It doesn't, it's not just physical. Every time I open a utility knife, you know what I do now? Cringe. I can still feel that metal going through my finger when I flip open that blade. And my soul goes, that's dangerous. We don't want to hurt like that again. Don't be done with that knife. So my soul was affected by something that happened in the natural. But even more so, the same thing happens in our soul. We get wounded by something, mentally or emotionally, and we're wired to survive. And Daniel's going to hopefully teach us a lot of things about this, but your brain will retrain itself, literally, physically, will adjust its course and the way it operates to protect you. And in the same way, it can also rewire back into a healthy place. So we're going to learn about those things. But there is a connection here with physical and emotional. I also want to mention quickly that the invisible drives the visible. I don't do something unless something inside me tells me to do it first. So the cupcake situation. Something inside of me wanted the cupcake before I took action. That your soul is like the processor in a computer. It's the motherboard. It decides what's going to happen. It's where your will resides. And so when you're making a decision, way before it comes out in the natural realm, it's happening on the inside. You're thinking through it, or your emotions, or whatever. If you react emotionally to something, if you get angry about something, or, or fear, or shame kicks in, it started in here, and then manifests out here. So we have to make sure that our motherboard is in good working order that we can go about our lives in a healthy way. If we have a dysfunctional internal thing going on, it manifests in our reality. If we're really struggling with anxiety, how does that manifest in our reality? Lots of different ways. I don't want to go to social events. I'm totally in this boat. Sometimes I get social anxiety. I don't want to go be in a big crowd. Ironically, I'm standing in front of one right now. But really... Something inside of me is like, uh, and then I will take action in the natural based on that internal thing. We need to be sure we're internally healthy, that the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves and the work that we do and how we, I mean, there's so much to be gained from having a healthy internal function. Okay, I want to deal with some wrong views here before I wrap up today to be sure that we're, we're okay or on the same page. And this stuff can be kind of delicate, so if I offend you, I'm sorry, but um, I think it's stuff that needs to be talked about. Why do Christians ironically seem to have a hard time with the mental health situation sometimes? And I realize that I'm stereotyping a little bit. I know many of you are passionate about this subject and do a lot, but it, we do often run into people, too, that have a real attitude about the mental health community and those kind of things. And why? What, what's the deal there? I think it has to do with that there's a very fuzzy line between the psychological and the spiritual. It's not always easy to tell. You know, when, when I had that chart up there where it had, you know, the soul and the spirit in place as parts of who you are, how do you distinguish between those two? I don't even have an answer for you. I mean, there are theologians that believe that the spirit and the soul are the same thing or part of the same component. 
I can only see the red circle over there on the left where it says body. That's all I can see. And if I want to prove something, I have to prove it in that realm. I can't, I can tell you how I feel, but you don't have to believe me, and I can't prove it, can I? Because it's invisible. And the same is true with the spiritual. I get this all the time. God told me, God told me, God told me. I think God's saying this and doing this, but we're fallible. Because that thing comes from the Spirit of God. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It has to pass through the filter of our soul and all those kind of things. And it can get real cloudy to distinguish what is spiritual and what is human. We need to be really cautious about how we deal with it. And I think we need to be careful we don't overly compartmentalize. Because there really isn't anything that only happens exclusively to one part of you. You are a complex whole being. If something is happening in your soul, it's happening to the whole of you. If something is happening in your flesh, it's happening to the whole of you. If something's happening in the spirit around you or in you, it's happening to the whole of who you are. You cannot overly compartmentalize these things. I might have got wounded in the flesh by that knife, but it did something in my soul too, minor as that was. But also it's true that people that are really wounded emotionally, it actually will produce, it will manifest in physical health issues because it happens the other way around. We are complex. We can't overly compartmentalize. But the problem in Christianity, and one of the major things that leads us to this is that um, we, if we're dealing with a mental health issue like depression, we go, wait, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and I don't even have to go any further down the list than I'm like, uh, joy and peace, but I'm depressed. I must not be lined up with God. I must have done something wrong. I'm not experiencing those fruits of the Spirit right now. This is just a spiritual problem. I need to read my Bible more. There's a part of that that's true. Yeah, you should always be seeking God in all of your circumstances, whatever that you're struggling with. But it, co it contradicts our Christian thought to be struggling with depression because we believe that, well, that's weak because I don't have hope and I'm supposed to have hope and I don't have any. And I would just say everything's like that. We're always walking in this thing where the Scripture puts forth this ideal and yet we're just like Paul. We see that there's something great in God and yet we're struggling with ourselves in that. That's okay. That's who you are. That's why we need to work on it together and be community and have a healthy understanding about it so that if you want to leave some of those things behind, we can be a community that supports one another in it. So things like that, that absence of hope in depression contradicts our spiritual instinct. And so we go, something must be wrong with me spiritually. Which leads me to my next comment, demonic possession. Demonic possession is a real thing. You know, There is forces of evil in the world at work. But again, distinguishing that is very fuzzy. Okay, when I read the stories of demonic uh, possession in the Scripture, they're clear. They're clear. We're talking crazy stuff that these guys are dealing with, and these demons are manifesting. And so for us to rush to the conclusion that anyone that is dealing with a mental illness of any kind has some sort of demon is... I'm just trying to think of a word without using obscenity. It makes me so frustrated. Like, really? We don't know. We don't know how many demons there are. We don't know. We know that Satan is finite. He can only be in one place at one time. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. 
We don't know how many angels fell with him in his rebellion. In fact, I think the scripture is purposefully silent or very, very quiet about our enemy. Enough to let us know he's there and seeks to destroy us. But we don't know a lot more than that. Why? Because that's what we would focus on if we knew. But what is sin? Sin is out of alignment with God. What does the scripture do and what is God doing? He's trying to get us to look at him. Not ourselves, not our neighbors, not the devil as our primary focus, him. And when we bring ourselves into alignment with him, the rest falls into line. And so it's really important that we are very careful about what we do in terms of what we think is demonic. Uh, I get, uh, it just falls in line also with hyper-spiritualism. Hyper-spiritualism, this idea that there's a devil behind every fence post. Like, I don't, I run the risk of being flippant about it, and so I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I take it very seriously, and I've dealt with it myself. And in different situations, and of course we work in places around the world where it really is a significant issue. So I don't want to downplay that. But it is not the reason for everybody's mental illness. Okay? We are broken. Okay? It's like this. You know, if you know, somebody contacts me and says, boy, I, the devil sure has been attacking me this weekend. What do you mean? Well, I got a DUI on Saturday. The devil was attacking you? What do I mean by that? We make excuses for ourselves sometimes. Like, could it just be that you're sinful? Could it just be that you made a mistake? Because you don't need the devil to get you in trouble. You're perfectly capable of that yourself. Right? We have, to, we have to use right understanding and judgment about this stuff when we're, when we're dealing with it, when we're talking about mental health. Because it's, it's really, I mean, can you imagine if struggling with the idea that every time I had depression or anxiety that I was under demonic influence? Like, that, that's just weird. I don't know. There's something that we have to deal with, that mental health is not demonic possession, not that demonic possession isn't real, but we're just broken because of sin. And we suffer the consequences for, for a lot of that. Hyper-spiritualism doesn't help. You don't just pray everything away. Okay, if we treated physical health the same way we treat mental health, if we're on that end of the spectrum, uh, there actually are Christian groups that refuse to go to the doctor, refuse to do anything in the physical. I knew a guy, I worked with a guy, uh, not directly with the guy, but through business, who died because he was bitten by a snake and he would not believe that he needed to go to the doctor. God was going to heal him. God was going to heal him. God was going to heal him. He died. And that just breaks my heart because I feel like that's such a misunderstanding of our creation and the situation. We are built for community. We're built to serve one another. We need each other. We need help. We need to help one another. If you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And then there are, there are groups that are like, you know, the, the word of faith, like, Hey, just, just don't say it. Or just, um, you know, uh, what's the prosperity gospel type stuff? Where if you are suffering, you must have done something wrong. So here's the thing. I really want to be sure I paint this picture clearly. We all suffer the consequences of sin in a general sense. Okay, the whole of creation is suffering because of sin. Not all of our personal issues are because we have sinned. Okay, there's a story in the scripture. Let's go there. John chapter 9. 
And Jesus passes by a man. He, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You have to understand that in these, in the, the Pharisees often operated with this understanding that if something bad happened, it meant you were sinful. That you must have done something wrong, that something bad happened to you. That is not true. That is not true. It's a wrong understanding. Yes, we all suffer the consequences of sin in general, but all of our problems aren't necessarily a direct result that we have hidden sin somewhere in our lives. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God has his purpose in all things, and God does not have a problem causing us some suffering sometimes. People say, God doesn't do that. I think we'll read you lots of scriptures where he doesn't seem to have a problem causing trouble in order to accomplish his purposes. He disciplines us. He, he brings circumstances into our lives to help us change and guide us or whatever situation. Sometimes we never know the reason for it. Sometimes there may not seem like there ever was. But God is in it no matter what. And so we have to, the point is this, that we don't buy into this idea, particularly getting judgmental of other people. It's like so-and-so has so much trouble going on in their life, they must have hidden sin. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't do that. Because it's not true. We, we all have weakness in some way when it comes to sin, but it, it doesn't work that way. It's not a mathematical equation where this plus this equals this all the time. We need to have compassion for people that are struggling and not judgment. Uh, counselor told me recently when he was explaining something to me, he said, it's not, it's not about what's wrong with us. It's about what's happened to us. Life has a way of dealing damage to us, whether we did it ourselves or someone did it to us. Some of it we don't even know what it was. Maybe we don't remember. Maybe it is... You know, lack of some of our biological components in our brain chemistry and things like that. Maybe it is something from our childhood. Maybe it is something that just happened to me circumstantially recently, and I'm just still trying to figure out how to process that. Looking forward to Daniel educating us on many of these things as we move forward. In the book Troubled Minds uh, that uh, we've been looking at a little bit as a resource, Amy Simpson writes, we are so uncomfortable with being forgiven and called and yet weak and suffering. We turn away from the suffering and the weakness in our midst. We reject them, catch this, we reject them in the name of our claim on a world we do not yet live in. We reject the weak situations. We avoid people that are struggling with weakness sometimes and we reject them because we're, we're believing for something in our future and it doesn't line up. And yet we're called to serve with compassion those people. For those of you that maybe struggle with the idea of suffering or that we're going to have suffering in this life, uh, look at Paul's situation himself. I mean, we read Romans 7. Paul had lots of suffering. And ultimately, his head was removed from his shoulders by the Roman emperor. I think Paul would have a thing or two to say to you if, he, if you argued that you're not supposed to suffer in this life. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 16, when God's speaking to Ananias to go talk to Paul. He says, for I will show him, God says, I will show him, show Paul, how much he must suffer for my namesake. And then Paul later in his life, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the world is suffering, I am suffering, there is suffering in the world, are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us or to us. Going back to what Amy Simpson said, our claim on a world we do not yet live in. We're living in the brokenness of humanity. But we're called to serve one another in that. Love is the right response to this. Loving one another is the right response to the variety of issues we struggle with in our inner being. All of it. Love is the right response. And we do whatever we need to do to help people find healing in whatever way they need it. And we have God on our side. We have community on our side. We have the scripture to work with. Guys, we are as well equipped as anyone in the world to help people who are struggling in their soul. You hear me? Can you receive that today? Are you going to be here for the next three weeks to hear the rest of these messages? It's going to be good stuff. Would you stand, please? Father, we thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that you have provided healing and guidance and transformation for us, Lord, that as we journey with you, you bring about restoration to all parts of who we are. And in the end, every tear will be wiped away, you said. Every tear. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when we celebrate with you and your kingdom and glory. And while we're here, Lord, I pray that you'd find us faithful stewards with one another in the area of mental health. God, that you would help us to make breakthrough and advancements, help us to find healing and restoration by whatever means, Lord, whether from medication or counseling or spiritual uh, solutions like prayer and intercession. Lord, just, a, oh, just help us with all of this, Lord, as we look at our culture around us who's struggling so deeply with these issues. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this, this series and this information and help us to absorb your scripture about mental health, Lord. And praise you and we thank you for this day. Amen.